Hey everybody, it's John Lamoureux. Welcome back to The Hustle. Okay, I am super excited for you to hear this week's guest. It is 80s rock goddess Fiona. Her real name is Fiona Flanagan. She put out about three or four albums in the mid to late 80s, early 90s. Some moderate success, nothing huge. She had two singles that barely missed the top 40. One was Talk To Me and one was this classic that you're listening to right now. Everything you do, you're sexing me, which she sang with Kip Winger. By the way, I think I call it Everywhere You Go a couple of times in this accidentally. It's totally my bad. Anyway, we don't actually talk that much about music in this podcast. I was really interested in what life would have been like for an attractive woman playing the hard rock game during that era of the music industry. Did she feel exploited? Did she feel disrespected? Who were her friends, her peers, that kind of a thing. She is very forthright and has the most amazing attitude. We also talk a lot about what she did post-music. She went back to college. She got an accounting degree. I mean, she, she became a very normal working woman, professional working woman. And now she's a mother of two and living in New Jersey. She's an amazing, amazing lady. I am so excited for you to hear this interview. Very few people that I've had on here have articulated the motivations behind doing something other than music when the music career ends better than Fiona does in this conversation. I also get the impression that there's a ton of stories that maybe she didn't feel comfortable sharing. She probably doesn't know where I'm coming from, and so she may have played it a little safe. We talk a lot about her being in the movie Hearts of Fire with Bob Dylan, which was frankly, unfortunately, a a famous kind of bust. But there's a lot of interesting stories here. It's also fascinating how she and I got connected. Thankfully, it's through our mutual love of Amanda Blue, previous guest on the show. I'm really excited for you to hear it. She called me from her home in New Jersey. I usually kick these things off with sort of a story or an anecdote about how I discovered the person or, you know, something pertinent to my history with them. I want to save that for a minute because I want to talk about how this even happened because it's one of the cooler things that has happened to me since starting this podcast, which was really just honestly, to be completely honest, it was a way for me to track down my heroes and see if they would talk to me. And a lot of them have, and including you. So I'll tell the first part, then you can kind of fill it in. So I was getting Amanda Blue's podcast ready to come out, and I was re-listening to our interview, and she had mentioned you in the interview. And I had thought about you before, thinking, i got to find Fiona. I want to track her down. I wonder whatever happened to her. <laughs> After she said that, I thought, okay, i got to get serious about this. And I found you on Facebook. And most of the time, I reach out to a lot of people, and I never hear back from them. And I, I think most of the time it's probably because my email went to some filter, you know, because they don't know who I am. So I thought, well, I'll send her a friend request, because famous people get friend requests all the time, and they tend to just accept them, assuming these people are fans. Then if she accepts my friend request, then I should be able to contact her on Facebook easier. That's exactly what happened. And so the day before Amanda Blue's episode comes out, I noticed you accepted my friend request. So I start thinking, after hers comes out, I start thinking, okay, now I'm gonna, I wonder if Fiona would do it, and I need to go back and listen to Fiona's albums, and I need to start doing some <laughs> research, and really, like, because I want to be ready for this conversation. While this is happening... You send me a message on Facebook saying how much you love Amanda, right? Now, yes. tell me how this happened. 
oh God, I guess because I friended you, your podcast announcement about Amanda must have come on to Facebook and I saw it. And it was just lucky because I obviously am crazy about her and Spider and Shanghai. And I was like, oh, my God, because I've already searched YouTube and looked at the videos and all that kind of stuff. So I just listened. I I, I don't really listen to podcasts that much, but I turned it on my phone and I messed around and I listened to the entire thing. And when it was over, I was just really happy and I texted you i guess and said yeah. thank you for the interview but i didn't yeah. i wasn't soliciting i was just i know you were happy that's the crazy thing and you you messaged me through the podcast yes the hustles facebook page not my personal one so you didn't have you didn't i know, didn't know we were friends no right the stranger you had accepted the day before was the same guy yes anyway i just think that is so cool how that happened and I literally had your website in front of me. I had been reading about you, and it, just when you did it, it was crazy. So it worked out. Wow. Yeah, I think that's pretty awesome. So I got to tell you though about discovering Fiona when I was in 1989. Right, that's when you and Kip and you're sexing me. I think that was 89. I was 16. That was intense because, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this and. Let's just be honest about this. You're obviously a super sexy, attractive lady, and your voice is so powerful, and you're singing with a guy who is pretty much equally as beautiful as you are. I mean, I, as coming from a straight guy, Kip Winger is pretty enough to make you question some things. And so the this combination of sex appeal in this video was almost overpowering to me. I didn't, as a young teenager, even quite know how to deal with it. It was a little scary because it's easy to look at beautiful women. It's a totally different thing to have to face beautiful women and have to deal with them and confront their power. And that's what I felt like was coming from your video. And as a child, I don't know that I was ready to do that. As an adult, of course, I love it. And so that was a very impactful moment to me. I don't know if that even makes any sense. Does that even make sense? I guess no. so. I mean, I know oh, how I really. feel. I know how I have felt when I've seen things, but you don't really think about yourself as impacting other people like that. Yeah. D- does yeah. that make sense? Sure. So sure. thank you, and sorry. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is good. This is just, you know, this is a, a 16-year – keep in mind, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, Mormon. Oh, wow. My, okay. My world is not that big. Right? right, but my mind is being expanded by the beauty that I'm seeing on screen from you and from Kim. Well, honestly, I, I never, you know? I never really thought about it like that before. I mean, a, a lot of those guys in the '80s, guy, they were all oh, yeah. gorgeous, you know. But sure. um, wow, maybe we were before our time, you know. Maybe millennials would be like, "Hey, <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> I, I like I this." <laughs> Well, because you, there was a difference in you because we're used to seeing, you know, those kind of, you know, busty blondes and the poison videos and stuff. That's what I mean about facing. Oh, a I understand woman. what you're saying. Yeah, you know, not, I mean, you're not being pejorative. You're 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 saying there's a you saw you felt that there was some kind of a, a difference. Yeah, okay. I'm watching a beautiful woman owning herself, owning her persona and her sexuality, and that's very different than watching hot, busty blondes in a poison video. 
at oh, the same wow. time. Okay. You know what I mean? You're dealing with that as a kid. You're dealing with the message. MTV was a powerful medium. Those videos are powerful messages. Wow. And I as hadn't... a kid, you're taking them in, and that's what I got from that. Great. Good. Good. Okay. Well, cool. Good. That's my I little feel, diatribe. I, I hope that's you're making okay. me feel making me feel kind of proud of myself. Um, Good, but I'm not, but I'm knocking, I'm not knocking other women no, who are no, in videos. No. Wow, it's just weird because I have a son, so I'm just thinking you about know. that. Mm. There you go. Yeah, well. <laughs> hey. <laughs> who knows what your, son, your son's <laughs> looking at. Well, but I mean, you know, and there weren't, who were your peers? There was Lita Ford and Vixen. Lita was the blonde in playing the guitar. And a slightly different persona than yours. It's, but very I mean, powerful. Oh, huge. Very. Yes. And then there was the band Vixen, and they weren't as big, you know? So I. Yeah, who, I don't know. I think Vixen, Vixen had that huge hit, Edge um, of a Broken Heart. Yeah, that's true. Five of them. Anyway, I'm just trying to think. Who else besides Fiona is? Who is Fiona's peer? Who well, were your peers? Do you know? Like I was thinking, like Soraya, Sandy Soraya. I really loved her records. Oh. The Bangles, but it was a different type of music. Yeah. Um, the Go Go's is a little different type of music. Um, right. The Eurythmics, but but if you're talking about like the hard rock kind yeah. of stuff, it was sparse. Darby Mills yeah. in Canada, maybe Doro. Girls' yeah. school. Uh, more people were having success, I think, in England. There weren't that many. You know, Pat yeah. Benatar and Stevie Nicks were the big, and Hart were the big yeah. kind of icons, Hart the big trio, yeah. Linda Ronstadt, mm-hmm. and Ricky Lee Jones. I mean, but but Hart, I guess, would be, and Pat Benatar and Stevie Nicks were like rock. Yeah, Hart would be peers. Again, talking about not that many women, brunette women in the hard rock genre. Was that always your plan? I mean, what was the plan? When Fiona is leaving, from what I understand, leaving New Jersey, going into New York City, playing in clubs, were you positioning yourself as a hard rock singer? Was that the plan, or what was the plan? I don't think there was enough of a plan, I guess. I wasn't positioning myself. That was the music that I liked, uh-huh. And the people I became engaged with, oh, Patty Smythe was singing too. Oh, there you too, go. Yeah, right? there you um, go. Yep, scandal. Yeah. I think I just really liked that music. I was a mm-hmm. big fan of Foreigner mm-hmm. and Aerosmith, and then I fell into a crowd of musicians who were playing that kind of rock and I really there wasn't a plan that's just the way I sang 
Okay. And that was the music that I liked, and that was the music they liked. And okay. it went from there. Okay. I didn't know if you started out, you know, it was a lounge singer or something like that, but you got no, discovered. I pretty, and, no, I was you know. young, and when I did go to New York, I was working with different people, and I did do a song that sounded a little bit like Bananarama. At the same time, yeah, I I did it for a guy named Mark Blatt. kind of production deal with Columbia and his mm. idea was to have three girls mm. and I went in and I sang it and then he I don't know he either couldn't find two other girls or he just liked the way it was and okay. kind of concomitantly or at the same time or I was working with Donnie Kisselbach who was playing with Rick Derringer and oh, wow. oh I guess uh, Neil Giraldo had yeah. played with Rick before that and okay. Donnie and I, I was working in the Poconos with Scott Jarrett, who was, or whatever, he's Keith Jarrett's brother, but he was a mm. jazz artist in his own right, and I was okay. doing a demo. I was just working, trying to figure out what I was doing. Yeah. And yeah. Donnie and I did some demos, and Atlantic and Columbia both were very interested at the same time, but Columbia was interested in the Bananarama-type song, ah, and okay. Atlantic was interested in me as a rock artist, and mm. I was more interested in that. Wow. I, I, I went with the music that I was writing and that That's I liked. fascinating. So if you hadn't had two offers at the time, there's a chance you could have gone the other way and mined the Bananarama vein, but because you were offered a choice, you went with what you'd rather do. I mean, who isn't sort of desperate? Yes, for and and who know, who knows if it time, who right? knows if it would have panned out either way. True, true. Like you know what what you're offered and what really happens are two different things. I don't really remember the whole thing, but I think it was maybe a single thing on Columbia, and okay, okay. Um, the other thing was more me. The other thing would have yeah. been just under the auspice of a production type deal, and I was grateful. How old were you? Now I'm 54. Right. So at the time, you would have been... I was like 22, I think. 22? Yeah. Okay, when this all started to kind of blow up. Yes. Wow. Yes. Now, i got to ask... Because I feel like I'm hesitating so much that I sound like... I just actually tried to remember, you know, because oh, no. I don't think about it that often. No, I know. That's fine. In fact, that's a comment I get from a lot of my guests is like, boy, I... This is kind of a good exercise. I don't go down. This is like the friggin' SAT, you know. I mean, and you're not even giving me multiple choice. (laughs) Like, wait a minute. Well, it's meant to be fun. Is there a penalty for guessing? Wait. You can guess. Okay. You know, no one's holding you to this. Right. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so a buddy of mine who is a listener and has his own podcast, his name is BJ Cramp. He is also a fan of yours. He asked me specifically how you got hooked up with Pepe Marcello. Are you related to Pepe Marcello? No. Jason Flom ah, was the okay. A&R rep at Atlantic, and he was just kind of getting started. He had signed Zebra and Twisted Sister. Mm-hmm. I don't know who else he had worked with then, 
but he was bringing me in and he loved the good rats and yeah. Pepe and I met in his office and Aiden uh, played me like songwriter, you know, songwriter. Da, da, da. Uh-huh. So before the actual record deal, I did Love Makes You Blind with Pepe. I see a hurt and it shows that Seems like you always feel this way It's not as easy to say you're surviving No one's going through your head How could you walk away from so much love? How could you fool a tryout with Atlantic also. I'm not sure if I'm getting the timing right with all of these things that were happening, but we did Love Makes You Blind first. Maybe it was then that Jason got permission to make a deal. I I don't really know. I can't remember, but that's how I met Peppy, and it was fine with me because I love Love Makes You Blind. I don't know if he wrote it for me or if he'd already written it. I can't remember, but I, I remember going out to his house and sitting at the piano and it was yeah. amazing. And then that's why Joe Franco played drums on the record, and, you know. Okay. My buddy BJ had some uh, theories, and he he wondered if you guys had been related. But wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm so know. Irish, and Pepe was so Italian, I think. So, um, <laughs> maybe back thousands of years ago. Right, right. Back maybe when Rome kind of tried to get into Ireland. I don't know. Right. Yeah, somebody had a tryst with somebody at some right. point. Okay. And was the plan always for you to go by Fiona? And was your name Flanagan? It wasn't Flanagan back then. It was Robinson, right? No, wow. I read Robinson somewhere. No, my name is Fiona Flanagan. Atlantic had Laura Branigan. Oh, oh, Laura Branigan was out too. Remember Gloria? That was great. I think I was always, I was Fiona before that. I I had a band and I was Fiona from when I was like 16. So, okay. yeah, I no, I don't think there was ever, I was never going to have Flanagan. Okay, always Fiona. So you get signed, you're making your first album. I mean, are you, like, is this the culmination of a dream? Were you always that kid? I think based on the bio I read on your website, it sounds like you were always that kid who was kind of singing or performing or propped up to perform by parents or whatever, right? Oh, yeah, it's not like um, Dance Moms. I just right. was a confident child, and mm-hmm. I was always selected to speak or okay. sing or announce because I would do it, you know. Oh, so um, okay. uh-huh. in sixth grade, 
you know, somebody told me to sing a song and I did. And then I was in the jazz band. I played sax and tenor sax and Wow. You know the way you know the way you split the the high school band into the kind of the orchestra band and then you have the mm-hmm. jazz band and you play all those swing songs from the 40s. Sure. Yeah. So Mr. Jinx, my um music instructor just gave me the mic and said, "Okay, you're going to sing this song and and then in the middle of the jazz concert I'd stand up, put down the sax and start singing." Oh wow. Um, but was it the culmination of a dream by the time I was 22? Yes. I would have to say okay. from when I was 14 I wanted to be a rock singer. Before okay. that, I no, I was just, you know, I was playing yeah. whatever, buying wacky packs and wow. eating Pez and going to the sure. pool, you know, uh-huh. I didn't know okay. what I was doing. Sure, normal stuff. Okay, and so you're making your first record, and it, it's pretty hard-edged, you know, it's hard rock, and your voice is so big and so powerful, almost to the point on that album at some points, it feels like it's being almost stretched to its limits. You know what I mean? Yes. How do you feel about the way the album turned out? Are you Were you happy with it? Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we were going for. I, I think that, like, when I worked with Donnie and Benji making demos, I really remember that that was what was exciting for them. Mm-hmm. If we were at like Jim Bargid's studio, they were always really, really, really cheering for me through the glass because this was when you were very separated and cheering when I would sing to the point of almost passing out, oh, you know, from yeah. losing breath. Yeah, it, it was it was kind of a machismo or a go for it. Like, in other words, you wouldn't do that at the beginning of the song. But yeah. at the end of the song, which was my favorite part, mm. everybody would just let the tape roll and nice. say, just go. Yeah. And that's what I did. And because okay. I got so much positive feedback and so much encouragement, I think that's maybe what people liked. And then Peppy was really the same way. As a, as a vocal producer, he wanted emotion. Okay. Like number one, he he sure. wasn't as worried about where I was on the beat or how I was pronouncing my words. He he was he had written most of the songs, so he had a lot invested in what I was conveying. You know, uh-huh. he actually even had a point of view and would tell me stories about the songs. Oh, stuff. really? Yeah, and then I'd be like, oh, okay, okay, stop, stop. Uh-huh. I really got it. Like okay. that song, Rescue You, it didn't mean mm-hmm. the same thing to him that it meant to me. But I did exactly what I wanted to do. You come right here in the middle of the night, I rescue you. You come to me for help, say I'm the only one that ever can rescue you. How many battles have I fought for you? Must I rescue, rescue you, 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 you,
Does okay, that make good. sense? Like sure. I, yeah. I, it meant something completely different to me. Well, I was yeah. the first one who sang it. You know, like in other words, I think right. he wrote some of these for me. Maybe I'm okay. wrong, but but when he told me the story of it, that wasn't my life experience. But it hit me so personally that it came out. I I, I couldn't have wanted to do that song any differently. I, I it was a great. Yes, I'm happy with the record. I didn't like the cover. The artwork I thought was horrible, but um, the record was great because it didn't match the music. Yeah, I thought that was totally dopey. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Well, you. It looks like a Bananarama cover. Ah, the guy, the guy who did Madonna's cover, actually, I think the Borderline cover. He's a great photographer. He took a lot of really great pictures. But. Atlantic, you know, it's a bureaucracy. Jason wasn't very high up then, and we were all kind of horrified. But if we had changed the artwork, they would have delayed the release date. And I think none of us really understood just what a stupid decision that was to go forward with that cover. Uh, It sounds kind of silly to talk about it, but like in England, I had a different cover, and it matched the music. And I actually have... I have better, like a more coherent fan base over oh, there than I ever did really? in the U.S. So that was actually a truly a huge artistic error. But there you go. There, it, yeah, nobody's okay. to blame. It was sure. just it, it was just like okay. like I didn't understand how much power I had or if I could right, stop right. it. And you know I was just mortified. And I couldn't understand why they didn't pick different pictures, but what do you get? I don't know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the end, okay. right? Okay, yeah. It should have just been well, a black cover, like Spinal Tap with a glove yeah, on it or something. I don't know. Right. It doesn't match the music at all. Yeah, yeah, it kind of doesn't. I only have digital copies of these things. So were you a songwriter? Did you write songs for this or in Oh, general, I wrote tons of songs, but, I, but, okay. but they didn't. <laughs> you know, they didn't get on the record. No, um, oh, really? Um, yeah, I I can't even remember what songs did I write on that. Probably James, I think. Yeah, who's Don, James? Donnie wrote over now. Peppy wrote probably the rest of them, but I would obviously have preferred to have a few of mine yeah. on there, and I think that a couple were just as good as a couple of Peppy's. Sure. But whatever. What are you gonna do? Oh. It it is what it is. And uh, Hang James? Your Heart. I wrote Hang Your Heart with Harry oh, okay. and Donnie. Oh, good. Right. Okay. okay. Who's James? Ah, nobody in particular. Oh, really? Oh, okay. You know, it was just like... Uh, kind of a general? James. General, yeah. He's not just... somebody we'd know, or that wasn't a particularly no, 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 no. meaningful relationship or anything like that? Oh, uh, God, how old was I? Did I have any meaningful relationships by then? <laughs> I don't no. know. <laughs> no, it was just a name. <laughs> okay, okay. I did it's so, you know, again, the boys being so powerful and the being, name being so specific. To well, I didn't want to sing, Cyril, Cyril, you Cyril. never tell me why, Sydney.
That's true. <laughs> the name has to be just right, right? You could have sung John. You never tell me what, John. Oh, that's great. You just need a, you know. Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> Do you? Okay, hilarious. <laughs> no, I think that's oh hilarious. By the way, i got to tell you, your uh, your website misidentifies that album as being produced by Pepe Castro, which is I know really? is not true. Yeah, because, no, I know that's terrible. not true because right. Pepe has been a guest on this show. I'm, I'm friends with Pepe, and I know he didn't, he, it was Marcello, not Castro that... Uh, My website or the yeah. internet? No, your website. It, there you, you go. Um, yeah, Bad oversight. I'll have to, the union's um, going to call me now. And, uh, no, yeah, okay. No. Thank you for telling tell me that. Him, you know, you're coming up basically around the same time and sort of rubbing shoulders with Twisted Sister and those guys, right? There was sort of a scene that you were a part of. Did you hang out much or tour with them or anything like that? No, I, I met them through um, Jason and through Atlantic, and I was really, uh, you know, excited whenever I saw okay. them. And the guys from Zebra, like, they, they were all very nice to me. And met Randy's wife, Felicia. And, okay. you know, but I I was younger than they were. And, yeah. I, no, I wasn't part of it. Okay. I, I did meet Dee later and spend a bit of time with him and with Suzette. But that was because Bo was producing a record with them. So that was much later okay. in my life. And, it was a okay. different time. But they were okay. really great and very, I love you know, that. Atlantic. Everybody supported everybody. It was incredible. Okay, good. I didn't know if there was a scene and you guys were all sort of hanging out No, they were from Long Island. I was in New okay. Jersey. They were in Long yeah, Island. True. So true. it was okay. a bridge too far, I guess, right? Right, right. Kind of okay. like World War Two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, I'm going to ask you some personal stuff. Okay, Are 10 you... Let me see. Let me see. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you'll get okay. lucky. Well, we'll see. You tell me if I'm if this is you don't want to. I just talk won't to. answer. It's fine. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Whatever you that's want. Fine. Don't answer if you don't want to. Right. But was anything inappropriate going on? And I don't mean inappropriate that you were participating in, but I mean, you know, we hear about like the casting couch and stuff like that. Are you fe- ever feeling exploited, or are you ever feeling as though your image is being? you know, curated or carved in such a way that they have, we have this attractive person, we want to market her such, we want her to wear these things. Did you feel as though you had to sort of please anyone or play a game in order to, you know, get famous or get out there? No. No, I mean, overall, I was treated with such respect. Good. That in looking back, I feel like people don't say enough good things about all these guys in the music business. There were some things that happened to me, but overall, especially when I was promoting the first record, Mm -hmm. you know, I was in a car constantly with a man, somebody Uh who worked for Atlantic, who I guess was part of a bigger corporation or whatever. I didn't really understand. These men were the bomb. It was fantastic. Good. And I don't know if it was my personality or the fact that there was a corporate structure that kind of protected me or if it was because of the American culture, which I think Uh should be celebrated because I was treated as an artist and I was treated with respect and I had great fun And I am incredibly grateful to all of these people, male and female, who worked at Atlantic. They were just amazing. 
you know, nobody ever asks. But I was, you know, in all kinds of compromising positions. <laughs> like, um, but it was business as usual, and they were wonderful. Good. Now, okay. I'm not saying that this is 100%. Sure, sure. But, but, but Your experience overall was a positive. My thing. overall experience and, and the other experiences I could cope with. Uh-huh. Does that uh-huh. make sense? Because sometimes yeah. it is confusing because maybe somebody likes you and there, I've said it. it they were yeah. wonderful. Good. And nobody okay. celebrates like how lucky we are because that, I feel like that has been promoted. Like I grew up in the 70s. I felt so comfortable being kind of the president of the class or yeah. being in math. <laughs> I get the math award uh-huh. in high school, you know? So <laughs> I like, I never felt that kind of bias and maybe it was partially luck or my parents were Irish, but like women were really in charge. It it wasn't this strange thing at all. And I feel happy about that. And there, the end. Good. Okay. No, that's wow. That's amazing. That's great. I'm envisioning. I mean, don't you feel like that? I mean, how do you treat women? Well, I was, yeah, I mean, I'm did you go to Brigham I Young? To, I did go to Brigham Young, yeah. Well, I worked with people from Brigham Young. They were awesome. They get recruited to be accountants a lot. Yeah, they do. They have a tremendous accounting approach. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure yeah. this is really interesting to all of the heavy rock fans. Yeah, right? I know. <laughs> Everybody out there, you want to talk about BYU for a minute? Um, <laughs> yeah, I did. I went to BYU. Um, right on. Yeah. That's I, a great um, school. It is a good school. Yes. Yeah. I don't think people know that, but yeah, it is a very good school. Yeah, I mean, I did my best. I uh, I good. wasn't perfect, but I I I tried to keep it in the you know down the line in terms of in terms of the religion, in terms of people who don't know at BYU. There's an honor code that you have to sign. So you right, that's like the Coast Guard to, Academy and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to agree to a lot of rules, or uh-huh. else uh, your place they can throw you out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, so I did my best. Well, that's great. I'm envisioning you know. You know, slimy promoters or no, radio, no, no, radio no, 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 people no. or no. agents or what? Okay, great, good. No, I mean, I, but also, I'm a confident person. Uh huh. And maybe other people would have a different experience. I don't know, but I was really raised by my parents to feel like I had some power that it was always my choice. And uh-huh. I guess I also got lucky that, you know, I, that's the way I was treated. Because, of course, mm-hmm. in life, like, strange things will happen. And you'll say, oh, wow, I'm not in control of this. But that was not my path. I do feel lucky, you know, that I was an American girl. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it's, okay. I really wow. do. Great. I was an American girl, and, man, I really benefited from it. Well, I uh, was not sure how you were going to answer that so that's great news i'm glad to hear that good okay so the first album comes out now from what i can tell over your three well the three core albums we'll say i mean there's two others but three core there were two like top 100 singles there was everywhere you go and talk to me
Now, am I getting that wrong? Were there other ones that I'm missing? I have no idea. I didn't even know there were two. Oh, okay. Yeah, according to what I could see, I think Talk to Me reached like number 60-something, and Everywhere You Go was number 50-something. Uh, everything or I everything really don't, you do, yeah, I is, really don't uh, know. Fifty-two and talk to me was sixty-four. Okay. Okay. Well, the the reason I ask is because did you feel at the time over the course of your three albums that you were getting the kind of promotion and pushing and airplay that you deserved? Did things feel pretty good? Did they feel like they could have been better? Did were you did they feel like this is more than I expected? What was your feeling about the way that your your career was progressing. I pretty much didn't know what I was doing. Uh, oh, radio God. changed a lot as I was entering it. It was mm-hmm. starting to, the markets were starting to segregate, like they were starting to turn it into not just like top 100, it would be like hard rock 100, and then ultimately kind of broke into alternative 100 plus adult contemporary. I was kind of learning as I went. The The promotion guys from Atlantic were great trying to explain to me what a P1 town was. I don't know how interesting this is or whatever, but I really had no idea what I was doing. So, yes, it was stressful when my trajectory didn't go up. Um, Uh It was more fun to be going up than to not be. So I I think you can kind of figure that out without me me, like telling a story. Yeah, normal. Yeah. I think I like your second album the best, by the way, Beyond the Pale. I think uh, it's the most, like, it's you got good tunes, your voice sounds good, the so- songs are strong. I like moments on the other one, but I think overall that's my, my favorite one. So you got to tell me, though, about how Hearts of Fire happened. And I have to admit, I've never seen Hearts of Fire. Oh, I wow. tried watching Hearts of Fire. it. I kn- yeah, I tried watching it on YouTube, and uh, there's a version on there, but it's got no sound. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just the movie, and I almost watched it, even with no sound, just so that I would have better context got to you, but I couldn't bring myself. So, tell me about Hearts of Fire. How did it happen? What was the experience like? All that. Oh my God! Um, this is like the SAT. Is this, this is like the subject. This is like the subject test now. Oh. Like, wait a minute. Um, wow. Oh, well, let's talk about what you want. I don't to talk remember. About. No, like, okay. um, it took a really long time. That's what I remember. Like, okay. in like, it was like dog years. You know, I was, uh-huh. I was really popular. I was auditioning for things. I got cast in a film called um, Born in the USA. Right oh. by Paul Schrader, uh-huh. yeah. and or no, did I get cast in Hearts of Fire? I can't remember. I got cast in two films at the same time, okay. and I couldn't do both. Uh huh. And I did Hearts of Fire, and the other one was called something else with uh, Joan Jett and Michael J. Fox. It was oh, first yeah, called Light Born in the USA, Light and then it was day. called what was it called? It was called Light of Day. Right. I was yeah. cast as the lead in that. Really? And then they cast Michael J. Fox because we looked like brother and sister. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, and then he I, sure doesn't look like Joan. Right. Uh, but Paul Schrader was the director, right? And um, it was an exciting time. Uh-huh. And I never even met Michael J. Fox. But uh, that was it. 
So I oh. did Hearts of Fire, but Hearts of Fire took longer to make or start or whatever. Yeah. You know, okay. I didn't understand all this stuff. Delay, delay, delay. So that's how it came about. I I auditioned. Okay. I guess. You know, I had an acting coach and I practiced and Okay. That was it. Was the plan all along to kind of like with Light of Day hire a you know, a hot young singer? I don't know. Like that—that's the movie business. Like I was. Yeah. Okay. I had an. I was with. I had a manager and I had an agent. I was with an agency called Triad, and they represented musicians and actors and uh, I don't know, maybe painters. I don't know. But um, right. they it was generated from the world because Miami Vice was out, so it was it was a big thing for musicians to be in. TV and film. Mm-hmm. So I first did an audition for Miami Vice, I guess. And because I got the part, the agency got excited. So it wasn't coming from me. I was just happy. Yeah. Okay. It was coming from. It was coming from outside. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Uh huh. Good. Um, Does any of this make sense? <laughs> about half of it. No, okay. yeah, of course it does. So will you yeah. edit this, or am I just going to sound like I have Alzheimer's? I don't know. <laughs> like, you might sound like Alzheimer's. That's we really horrible, it. John. No, 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 no. This is just a That's what you told me, John. What? <laughs> Go ahead. No, this is just a recorded conversation. We edit, you know, long pauses or people Great. coughing. Or oh, my God. I feel like Donald but... Trump, you know. So anyway, oh, no, no, no. I'm not no, finishing no, no. any of my sentences. So. No, you're fine. Okay. I've, had, I've had people who were... Much worse. And much worse. Much Thank worse, you so much. But by saying that, that implies that you're bad and they're worse than you. That's not even what I mean. I've had people on here who have been terrible, total okay. non sequiturs, and you're a delight, so don't even worry about oh, it. Oh, what a nice thing to say. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, okay, but the movie, first of all, you got to tell me what it was like hanging out with Bob Dylan, and you got to tell me, was it crushing that the movie kind of it, I don't think it ever came out in the States. or it, No, I'm uh, glad it didn't come out in the States. Oh, okay. That's fine. Is it terrible? Because <laughs> it, um, it's kind of like a famously bad movie, isn't it? Oh, wow. Is that harsh? I don't mean... No, it no, I've no, it's it. fine. That's okay. okay. Watching it with sound or without sound, I don't know which is better. Um, <laughs> is, um, it, you know what? It was an incredible life experience. Sure. And they paid me a lot of money, and I felt it was very exciting. Uh-huh. And, you know, if I had the life of an actress, it would just have been one thing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. instead, it was just the one thing that I did. That's true. <laughs> so, um, That's true. so your question kind of answers itself. Um, yeah, okay. But regarding asking you what it was like to hang out with Bob Dylan, that's not really a specific question. Like, it, you know, it was cool. You know, like if okay. you ask me a specific question, I could answer okay. it. But like okay. something Sorry, so general is is kind okay. of. Was Bob Dylan nice? Was he talkative? Did you feel by the end that you got to know him at all? Was he strictly business? He seems he's this enigmatic character that seems to be kind of on when he wants to be and not on the rest of the time. Without you know, I don't know, talking trash or whatever. Was it a pleasant experience? Would you say you're buddies or no? Oh wow, that's a lot of questions. Okay, Sorry, he was. No, Anna, doing it's right. okay. He was lovely. Um, oh, he was. Okay. He was a lot older than I was. I don't sure. know. Maybe is he what? 
how old is he? Maybe is he twenty years older Probably than I? I, I don't know. So, yeah. He had children my age. He <laughs> also was a person who treated me like I was Bambi, like wow. a deer right. in the forest. He was okay. incredibly kind, in my opinion, protective. Yeah. Because I went into his trailer once and uh just the way he was behaving towards me about like was I cold or hot or you know oh. you know what I mean? It was yeah. he was a lovely guy and Good. I didn't spend that much time with him but I saw him every day for the summer. We had semi private acting lessons together, which okay. was really just the two of us and the um the coach. Good. Okay. <laughs> and it was really fun. I was nervous, but he was absolutely engaged and funny. Okay. But are we buddies? No. I mean, I think I saw him once after that at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Awards, and he was like, he feeling it. He, what happened to our movie? You know? <laughs> and, you know, I have I have some stories and memories and stuff like that, but he, he okay. was just really... Um, he was a he was a lovely guy. Good. Okay. Wow. Everything's roses so far. This it's not. Great. I mean, there, there were some funny bits and stuff like that. But I mean, like maybe I remember my whole life positively. You know, because yeah. lots of things have happened that were negative. But me as a human being, that's not how I live. Like yeah. I okay. really remember the happy stuff. Good. And um, yes, prompted, I can think of darker things. And there are some well, people in my life I haven't worked things out with. But yeah. I, I don't think I would say it on the radio. You oh, know, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's I, like, sure. I just think, like, I'm not being disingenuous by saying, like, overall, my memories are really good. I mean, even good. of, like, broken up relationships. Like, sure, sure. You know, I it's just like everybody's trying to figure it out, right? Yeah, so you know and anyone else listening knows. I'm not asking these things because I want you to expound on a really negative experience or I want you to trash Wait, you're curious. Anyone. Yes. I'm, I'm honestly curious and I'm I'm a, I'm I might be projecting that a, an attractive woman in the music industry in the 80s might feel exploited or treated unfairly. But you're saying they're not. The only thing that was weird was radio stations would only play a bit of female on the rock stations. Yeah, That true. was difficult. Like, they definitely had quotas about that. Yeah. You know, just the way they say that music was segregated by stations mm-hmm. like black, white, green, yellow, whatever, and by disco or whatever. But like, uh, some of the feedback was they they didn't really play girl rockers, but maybe that's yeah. what they just tell you because they don't want to play your song. I don't yeah, know. Uh, that part was hard to break through. And yes, yeah. of course I had some incidents, but I- I'm talking in general. Yeah, uh, positive experience. Yeah, and Bob, like, Good. he was he was very funny. Good. Good. <laughs> like a really funny guy. And we'd yeah. sit there together in the truck and he never knew his lines. He he was kind of making up lines and uh-huh. it was confusing. Like I will here, I'll tell you something real. Um Okay. Oh my god. I had never been in a film before. Uh-huh. I he probably he had been in one or whatever. But I think this poor director must have been going mad because we would just make up lines. Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. I made him up because I was like 
an idiot. And I thought, uh-huh. oh, you just make up the words, you know, and, um, right. and oh, I'm so smart and funny or whatever. And But I was encouraged by Bob, who was saying things that I had never seen anywhere on any piece of paper. You know, like mm-hmm. we were in a truck and he started talking about his mother was a saxophone player. I mean, it was so mm-hmm. off script. Wow. And sometimes I just nodded my head and sometimes uh-huh. I made up a father who was a bazooka <laughs> player. I don't know. Um and and I have to say like Richard Marquand, who was the director who uh-huh. who he, God, he he died suddenly yeah. after the end of filming. It's so sad. He was only forty nine. Oh. But I think he probably didn't know what to do because like the people yeah. associated with the film, like Ian Smith had done like Chariots of Fire. You know, I see right. I see these people's names at movies now and I'm like horrified that like, oh my God, those are all the people I was with, you know. Um right. they're all these like big, 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 you know, House of Lords and uh, sure. and they were so cool. But I didn't know and I wasn't curious about specific things like that. Uh, it would have been a great time to learn things, but of course I was very self-involved and uh-huh. curious about other silly things. Probably because it was Bob Dylan, they lost control a little bit. Yeah, I could imagine. Because he was treated very respectfully. Yeah. Like the the acting coach, you know, was like Mr. Dylan, and uh-huh. I, I grasped this, but I was just too inexperienced not only as an actress, but as a human being to to really grasp this yeah. stuff. Sure. Like when we went to a press conference, nobody asked me any questions and I couldn't figure uh, out why. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and it's because it was freaking Bob Dylan, you know? Right, right. Why does no one want to talk to me? Right, and in my well, mind, I'm like, hey, I'm here, you know, hey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when I think about when I think about myself, it makes me laugh, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. so, uh, and it was very serious, you know, but I just didn't, I knew he was Bob Dylan, but if you think about it, like in the 80s, Bob Dylan wasn't Bob Dylan, you know? Yeah, had, yeah that wasn't his best period. Like, it wasn't like the time where he was, I don't know, it wasn't like he was in Duran Duran, I know that sounds yeah. really silly, no, but I, um, he wasn't do, do you understand right my... Sure. My point, like, he was so revered, mm-hmm. but I was just at an age where I knew he was a legend, and I knew he was the great American poet, and I was a little bit, I was a little bit too self-conscious to try to engage with him about all of that stuff. So instead, right. we had kind of a silly, uh, okay. we talk about silly things, and Joan Baez a little bit, and, you know, uh-huh. things like that, uh-huh. but... He never said, you know, hey, Fiona, when's the first time you ever heard one of my records? You know, <laughs> we didn't really like, because uh, I would have told him, you know, the nuns used to sing Blowing in the Wind. And, right, you know, right. So, nuns. Nice. you know, we did. Yeah. We sang Blowing in the Wind. So it was so yeah. funny because, because what? So that's, I could go yeah. on and on and on, but I won't. So okay. someday no, if Bob, okay, if Bob calls me, I'll tell him. So Okay. I'll get Bob on the podcast, and I'll there ask him go. what it was like working with Fiona. He's and I'm sure so lovely. He's wonderful. Yeah. Very funny, yes. Yeah, I gotta, I'll do that. I'll make yes. that happen. I'm sure and he does talk like that. that. It's really weird. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> okay, now, switching gears from Bob Dylan, here's the big moment. We have to talk about Kip Winger 
am I just throwing too many unpleasant things, or or nothing things is you don't unpleasant? Okay. Why okay. would you think it was unpleasant? Well, I don't. You were because you're talking about you know digging this stuff back up and having to remember and talk about it or whatever. I, but it's not, I don't mean unpleasant like Kip was unpleasant. I mean maybe none of it's unpleasant. Okay, I'm a good, very good, lucky good. person. Great. Okay. Well, good. So you got to talk to me about Kip. I mean, uh, sure. I asked you when we were emailing or messaging if you dated, and you were like, mm, "Fine, dating." So <laughs> what's the? Uh, That's a good answer. It was a good answer. Just you know, ambiguous enough to get me more curious. So tell me how this happened. Did you guys go out? Were you a thing? If you were, and you know, this applies to anybody. If you weren't a thing with him, were you in a relationship ever with people we would know? I don't even oh, that's, know. You are so fishing, man. Like, well, it's, that's, so that's so funny. That's really funny. Of course, I, yes, I was. Yes, okay. yes. But um, with Kip, I met Kip through Bow Hill. Uh, I was on Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Bo was hired to do my... He and he agreed, which was great because he was a really hot producer. He produced, you know, that yeah. great rat record, round and round. Oh yeah, and I was he really excited. Shanghai. No, he was in the band. Or yeah, that's a, yeah. Sorry, was, yes, but like I didn't know any of that part. It's okay. just he produced Rat. Rat was on Atlantic. Robin Crosby and I were put in a limo together, and mm. Robin was really lovely, and he said, "You you should get Bo to produce your record," and then he played me their new one with Lay It Down and You're in Love. And so it was all kind of bubbling under, and Bo agreed to do the record, and we met. And then Bo and Kip were friends, and um, Kip like co-wrote some of the songs. And anyway, I brought in Donnie Kisselbach and Benji and Joe Franco and Reb Beach. And Reb met Kip during the recording of that record, and Reb mm-hmm. is the guitar player and winger. They formed the band together. But right. like Kip Kip and I were friends, but we're the same exact age and I I got involved with Bo and so oh. Kip was Bo's friend and got it. we were friends. We actually probably even got to be better friends as time went on. So no, we were not okay. like he I've met tons of Kip's girlfriends. Um there's <laughs> And I was and I was specifically with Bo for years. Oh, okay. So, okay. no, when we did the video, it was really fun, really, really okay. fun. But okay. I guess that's okay. the answer, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, it is. So during the height of your career, you're with Bo Hill pretty much the whole time. I met him at the height, probably. Okay. okay. Like because it wasn't that long. <laughs> well, true. Uh, and then um, I was with him, I guess, I don't know, for years, not not that many years in the scheme of things. And then, okay. you know, Move but on. I'm not, I'm not going to, like, throw names at you. You would have to, like, ask me. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, let me just start doing so you that. Should, then. You should move on and call me back. <laughs> uh, um, okay, let's start with Stephen Pearson. But Bo and I um, got, you know, married. So, like, that was a real oh, you relationship. Did? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I was that. married to yeah, him. I don't know. Okay, I don't yeah. know any of that stuff. Okay, yeah, we, so, we so like that was that was like the real thing, you know. So okay. it was wonderful. Okay. Wonderful oh, well, and how then how long were you guys married? We were only married for a year. What oh. what's my joke is you start out like Ozzy and Harriet and you end like Ozzy and Sharon. 
But um, <laughs> that's my joke. Uh, <laughs> but um, right. so we were only married for a year, but we were together, I guess, like five years. Interesting. It was to me. It was very interesting to me. <laughs> I bet. Was he? I don't even know. Were you guys close to the same age? Was he older than you? He's older than I am. Probably nine years. Oh, okay. okay. I don't know. He, but he, he wrote, talked to me, but I didn't. Yeah. Know that, and then when we were doing the record, I was like, oh. He wrote Talk to Me, but I'd already uh, recorded it on the first record. But I met him as a producer. Hmm. So, and then the record okay. took a really long time, and there yeah. you go. Okay. You feel you really you're, all, you're totally me. like. Well, well, now I'm trying. Do I really so want to go down you're this flustered. road? It's okay. <laughs> well, you can call me back. You can call no, me back. I am just so filled with. Stuff. Did you know that I worked for the Doors? No, you were. Did you know that I was a bridesmaid in Rod Stewart's wedding? No. See, I didn't See know. you need to okay. call me back. Well, how am I supposed to know this stuff? It's not on your Wikipedia page. It's not in allmusic.com. It's not on your bio on your site. Because I don't know how I'm supposed to know this stuff. You're not. I'm just teasing you. Bring it. Tell me these stories. <laughs> I did see, I, I, well, I did see, I think on IMDb, I noticed you had a credit as like a, I don't know, groupie or something on the Doors movie. But that's because I was friends with Danny Sugarman. And after I quit music, I went to UCLA. And while I was going to UCLA, and maybe even prior to that, while I was going to Santa Monica College, um, Danny hired me. We went out to dinner, and he said, Fiona, I'm looking for somebody. I need I need help. I need help. And I was like, oh, God, hire me. And yeah. so he did. And... Um, uh, he was managing the doors, so Jim Morrison was dead. Um, of course. But right. uh, Ray Manzarek and John Densmore and Robbie Krieger, this was like when all of the record companies were reissuing CDs, and this was a great time, and all of those guys who had had hits were, it was just a great time for mm-hmm. them to kind of make some money and have people discover their records again in a different format. So I worked for him and for them and then I ended up working for Ray uh, a bit privately and uh, mm. it was really great and it was weird wow. because I was going to UCLA and Ray Manzarek and Jim Morrison had both gone to UCLA of course. So very, yeah. and Ray, really loved, like Ray loved all that spooky stuff so that okay. was pretty great and Danny was wonderful and um, it was okay. it was cool so after the music career kind of dies down, you go to UCLA? Yes. What's that like? I mean, here you're sitting in the, you know, calculus class, and the guy next to you is like, that's the chick from the Sexing Me video. But, but that's not what it was, because the only reason people even know what I did is because there was an Internet. Like, there was a big period maybe of of many years where it was like what I did never existed, mm-hmm. because there oh, was no true. Internet. Yeah. So if people yeah. said, what did you do? I would say I was a singer, and then they would say, sing something, you know, and it's uh-huh. like, oh, God, okay. Yeah. And then they'd say, what was the name of your band? And then I would, yeah. mortified, have to say the name of my band was Fiona. You know, I would like, it was, it was, it was good. It's character building to have to, like, right. just suck it all up, and, you know, there's, Everybody has to remember, like, you have to take care of yourself and you need to work for a living. And if you change careers, that you should be proud of yourself because you're you're supporting yourself. And when my music career 
when I saw no happy ending there, I made the decision to matriculate. I had actually gone to Santa Monica College between, I think, Heart Like a Gun and Squeeze. I went at night because there's a lot of downtime in music, and I was... God, I think once again, Robin Crosby's wife, I actually thought, she told me she was going to school, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. You know, so um, they had an annex in Malibu, and I ended up going to college, and it was really good because music business is stressful, and yes. you never know what's going to happen. But if I went to school, if I studied, I could get an A, and uh-huh. it was uh-huh. good for my sense of self-worth. And good. it was a really good decision. So when I was fully enrolled at UCLA, like I think I went to school like what, say two days a week and worked for the doors three days a week or else it was reversed. I can't remember, but they worked it out so that I could attend university and Uh work for them. They were great and it was really, really great. And then I got recruited by um, Price Waterhouse out of UCLA and that's where I met all the BYU guys because I was the only one who wasn't from BYU. No. (laughs) (laughs) Then you were... uh... I was going to say, what's the opposite of the designated driver? You're the one person, they're they're all not drinking, they're all not doing anything. You're the one guy kind of... But they didn't up. know, like, because they can't ask you yeah. personal questions when they recruit you. They they didn't. Oh, they don't even ask yeah. you your age. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're just a human being, and sure. they look at your grades, and they meet you, and that's it. Huh. It was so fabulous. what did you do for BWC? I mean, this is... I was an accountant. What do you think I You were. Well, I wasn't sure. Okay, well, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know if you were meaning you knew people from the BYU account no, program or if you were actually no, no, no. you actually were an accountant. I did. I did. Uh, what did I do? I did business economics, and I ended up minoring in accounting, and I liked accounting a lot. And they came to the college, and there was a big sign, you know, go and meet. Uh-huh blah, blah, blah. So I just did what they told me to do. It was so easy compared to music. It was like, hi, bring your grades and go there. And that's what I did. And I thought, which one will I go to? And Price Waterhouse was the only one I'd ever heard of. And so I got in that line and I met the guy and they offered me a job and it was great. You probably don't know this unless you were able to get it out of Amber or Amanda's episode that we talk about, that's kind of the focus of the podcast, honestly, is how people, quote-unquote, pay their bills when the music career comes to an end, right? and then how they feel about the, making those transitions. I always think it's interesting that you go from nothing to rock star back to nothing, nothing yeah. or something like that, and what is that arc? How are you feeling? It sounds like you felt very empowered. Well, no, re- no, no, no. To, like, when I when I actually... I did those three records on Atlantic, then I went to Geffen, and I was very hopeful because John Kladner signed me over there, and then I went with uh, Howard Kaufman and Andrea over at HK. I was really, really, really hopeful that that Squeeze record was going to extend my career, and I was going to work as a musician as I had been doing since I was 14, but that's not what happened, and I was... How old was I? I don't know, around 30, I guess. It's funny because you're so young when you do this. But I was getting divorced, and I didn't have any children. And I thought, wow, what am I going to do? Like, what's going to happen to me? And I'm not saying I was out in the street or anything like that. Like, Bo was very kind. But I had been planning on a different future. And even if it wasn't in music, it was like, 
married with children, you know, like it was it was a lot of things ending at the same time. Right. And I made a very good decision to go to college because I needed to support myself eventually. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I knew that the, my cash was going to run out on X or whatever. And that's what I did. And okay. it was difficult when I was working for the doors because instead of like kind of anonymously working yeah. somewhere, I was actually calling people. God, I can't even think of who I was calling, you know, on behalf of them, like people who worked at, shoot, Electra? I can't remember. But okay. there were some really nice people, but I was now in a different, Yeah. I wasn't the artist, now I was the assistant to right. the manager of the doors, you know, or whatever, calling yeah. up. And I felt like I had lost my identity a little bit. I felt sure. embarrassed. You know, I'm I'm actually embarrassed to say I was embarrassed, but I'm telling the truth. Like, I did mm-hmm. feel embarrassed. Well, it's you like, you know, you're, you kind of hang your... You know, your ego, and you yeah. feel, I, I felt really proud to be a musician. But I had this had happened to me before because when I was seventeen, I didn't go to college, and I was a promising student. You know, actually, somebody's mother came up to me and like said, "What are you nuts? You know, what are you mm. doing?" Blah blah blah. Right. Uh, and then when all of my friends were graduating from college when they were twenty-one, there was nothing happening for me at all. So mm-hmm. I was feeling pretty kind of scared and freaked out then but it worked out and yeah. I really felt proud of myself and that <laughs> and so what I'd like to say to everybody is like you know life has hills and valleys and right. just take a deep breath and working for a living is always better than hiding yeah. Because you don't want people to know that you have to work for a living. I mean, there is no shame in working yeah. for a living. That, In other words, it needs to be spun differently. I feel yeah. proud of myself that I went out and got a job as an assistant. And yeah. I feel proud of myself that I went to college. And I feel proud of <laughs> I feel proud that I was an accountant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Briefly. And I, I think that that's the message Incredible. that I want to pass on to my kid. That's it. That's what... Yeah. That's what life is. And and That's then amazing. you never know what's going to happen next. And who yeah. knew that the Internet was going to come? And who knew that yeah. you were going to call me? And I, know. I don't know. Who knew that I was going to work again or whatever? Yeah. And I have two teenagers now. I mean, I my life worked out in a way that I never expected. And it's That's incredible. so cool. Yeah. I, I'll, be on, I, I'll be completely honest with you. You've just articulated what... I am trying to do with every guest I have better than almost anybody I've talked to so far. I'm awesome, John. I know you are, Fiona. That's why why I want to talk to you. I am a powerful woman who has long brown hair. Well, if that was the 80s, you, you've empowered yourself to be more than, you know, a pinup, a hot 80s pinup. You've done other things, and you're proud of those things. How many rock chicks... From the 80s, I keep saying that, whatever, you know, how many female singers from the 80s that were pinups could go on to be successful accountants? Listen, you know I'm really I mean? proud that I was a pinup. That makes me no, feel really true. good, actually. But yeah. um, I don't know. Like, basically how you look is kind of a freak of, you know, the genetic yeah. role of the dice. Yeah. And yeah. I always felt like I was fine. I never thought uh-huh. that, like, oh, wow, I'm so hot. You know, I mean, uh-huh. I just was like... I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, you grow your hair. Hair helps, uh-huh. you know? And um, I had really great parents. At the time, maybe I didn't know how great they were. But um, 
my mom was the bomb. You know, yeah. she was just, like, I was so, in, in my town, I grew up in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, and I've got to say, these kids, my classmates, everybody was so supportive. Nobody was, there were, you know that movie Mean Girls? Uh-huh. Never heard of it. Makes sure. no sense to sure. me at all. Okay. That never happened in my life ever. I have never experienced that. I don't know what they're talking about. My life is so different, and I was in a class. There were 44 of us in one classroom, and they're all terrific people who were so supportive. I don't know. I live in a town now. It it kind of feels the same way. It's also in New Jersey. Proud to be from New Jersey. Uh But uh, I have a daughter and a son, and I just can't express, like, how good it it i i think that people there are clichés about things but it's not necessarily everybody's life experience mine yeah, was different yeah. i That's was the president different. of the class you know right. i was in charge of things and people were kind to me and encouraged me good. so good. Sorry, I don't want to go on and on about it. That's probably because I'm no, a parent. Sorry, but no, this duh. is good. This is you're in, this is you're giving the, you know, that speech, that commencement speech. Go out and make it happen. So Am tell I? me a little bit. I want well, time, yeah. I mean, this is inspiring stuff. You know, you want to pass that along, not just to your kids, but to anyone listening who may want, have wondered where did Fiona go? She made a great life for herself. Absolutely. That's where she went, you know. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about this life. I mean, are you? You've mentioned your kids. Are you You're married? You're skipping again? a lot of my records, but that's okay. No, teasing well, <laughs> uh, you. Um, I'm trying not to keep you too too long. I, no, it's so, cool. You well, can edit this because if it's too long, it's going to make people really bored. You know. Well, I know, but it's so good. Maybe it's you could really do two parts. Like I've thought about that. I've had I had one on one guest, and it was two and a half hours long. That's too that long, was, man. People oh, are going to die. You know. Well, you know what? And, Those uh, three-hour lectures at college will kill you. Big time. And that was two and a half hours after cutting out like 45 minutes of it. Yeah, I think you've got to do it in part. You've got to do like 45-minute things or people are just going to like just run away. They'll, they'll, yeah. Seriously, you'll lose audience, in my opinion. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I listen to all my podcasts uh, sped up at uh-huh. double speed. There you go. So, um, That's not a good I sign. No. <laughs> Why? I'm teasing you. You can make it over with so quickly. <laughs> It's way easier. So do we talk about you with any other way? You guys tell me why. Y'all been waiting so long. Actually, the only reason I could talk the only reason I could talk on the phone tonight is because my husband's flying back from L.A., so he's not here knocking on the door going, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" Talking to in there. Right. 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 Okay. No, cool. So go for it. I'll tell you what. Keep going, and then just like edit it. We'll figure it out. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. Right. As long as it's entertaining, I don't think people... Do people tell you you sound like Seth Rogen? No. No one's ever told me that. <laughs> really? Totally. Oh, my God. I'm good. I'm picturing good. him in my mind. <laughs> I don't know if that's insulting wow. or happy, but no, I mean, you not, sound so much like of, him. Oh, that's great. Yeah, he's funny. I'll take that. I'll imitate you one. shortly. No, okay. Go I ahead. always get... Uh, I didn't watch much Seinfeld, but I always get putty. I guess oh, Dwayne that's awesome! Yes, high five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. High five. No, Seth Rogen. Okay. Okay, Seth Rogen. So, okay, so well, let's finish. Let's just. I want to wrap up the personal thing. You've been okay. married for how long? Uh, twenty years in September. 
Oh, my gosh. Okay. And you live in suburban New Jersey where – Absolutely. I mean, okay. Yeah. And what – do you do anything now? I mean, I – I know you put out a new album a couple of years ago that I want to ask you about in a second, but do you have any kind of like a day job or anything like that? No, I haven't worked. Okay. Um, I volunteer. Oh, God, that sounds so silly. No, I stayed at home with the kids. I've worked. Okay. Uh, yeah, I stayed at home with the kids, and it's okay. been, um, wow, really fun. I mean, it, it, it's unbelievably boring when they're uh, little. Like, you just want to hit yourself in the head with things. But Yeah, that's where I'm at. But my mom was at home until I was 10, and when she went to work, I remember, like, coming home, and um, I missed her. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I remember opening the door, and I was like, oh, my mom's yeah. not here. So, like, I was kind of in love with my mother, mm-hmm. and I've been here. Man, these kids are so sick of me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I do music a bit sometimes, uh-huh. and... Um, okay. And you know, I follow did the PTA, all that kind of stuff. Okay, you know? wow. I'm not completely useless. Just no, whatever. I never said that. But right. so Fiona's a, a a normal mom. Okay. Yes. Now unbroken. That's it, right? Oh, you don't even have to ask me about that. I don't care. I, w- I would have anyway. But, uh, but honestly, it's, I don't know how interesting it is. Well, the thing that I find, <laughs> I think it's interesting because okay. I I am especially curious. Again, I talk to a lot of people who are sort of, if they're in the music industry anymore, they're sort of sometimes on the fringe. And I'm always curious what kind of motivates them to continue to make music when the state of the music industry right now is such that they're lucky if that album even ever gets heard. You know well, well, it wasn't for profit. It was actually because Robin Beck, who is a really amazing singer, God, she's one of the best singers I've ever heard in my life. I met her in the 80s through mutual friend. And then on the internet, you know, I just started talking to friends of mine again, and she'd had big hits in Europe. And she still has a career, like a, a big one. It's tough because a lot of the people in uh, the U.S., work more in Europe, and it's expensive. I was actually thinking about it. I was wondering if maybe the Scandinavian system makes it possible for people to be musicians because they have health care. You know, I mean, I could actually talk to you about this for a long time. Because, you know, when you look at all the bands that are going around on the kind of 80s classic rock circuits, it's like UK, and maybe there's more of a support in those countries. I don't know. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying uh, you're right about trying to make a living. It's difficult. Anyway, Robin was very motivating, forceful person, and she just kind of showed me a path. And I was getting a lot of fan interest, and the kids were a bit bigger, and I made the CD. 
And it turned out to be a really great idea, and I worked a bit, and then like a Japanese record company called me up and bought it from me out of the blue. This is all because of the internet, and I really was not expecting anything, but it's been really, really fun. And I luckily, because I am married to somebody who is employed, Mm -hmm. I'm in a better position I'm not trying to like pay the bills with yeah. the music at this right. and that makes a huge difference mm-hmm. and it was really fun and who knows Okay. Well, that's good. So that it kind of scratched a creative itch. And maybe you didn't even know you had until the opportunity came along. I did. And then you were able to capitalize on it, right? Right. Um yeah. did I know I had it? I was singing a bit in town for fundraisers, but it was all cover songs. Okay. And, you know, just like playing at events. It was fun to sing. And, yeah, I also think it was kind of to set an example, maybe for the kids, yeah. show them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Right <laughs> what on. kind of example? Sure. I don't yeah. know. Don't stay in one place. You can do right. anything you want. Yeah. Okay. Right. Lucky for you, we've basically reached the end. I All okay. the things that I wanted to ask you about, we've touched on. I'm sure there's tons more stories that you could tell me if you wanted, but you kind of chose not to. And so maybe at some point, if you warm up to it, we'll have a part two one day, and you can just tell stories, whatever stories you feel comfortable sharing. You were at Rod Stewart's wedding. Well, how the heck did that happen? I imagine uh, being married to Bo. Who's no, also no, no. Kip, Kip used to date Rachel. Oh. So I was friends with Rachel, and then Rachel married Rod. Oh. So I was a bridesmaid. Oh, wow. <laughs> See? See, stuff like that, that's fascinating. You know what I mean? Well, listen, it was really fun. And this was fun. best of luck to you. There you have it, Fiona. Is she amazing or what? I just love that. That is one of my favorite conversations we've ever had. She was so concerned about it being long or boring, and I never thought for once that it was boring, even though we didn't talk that much about music. In fact, we talked mostly about her first album, which, no offense, Fiona, is my least favorite of all of them. So I wanted to play something off the second album, which is my favorite, Beyond the Pale, Thunder and Lightning. That's what you're listening to here. I just think she's amazing. And guys, if you know her or you're a fan of hers and you like this, let her know. Because if if she feels comfortable, maybe she'll come back and share some more stories. You know, those rock stories that maybe she felt a little unsure about sharing this time. Anyway, I loved her a lot. Next week's guest, I'm just going to give you a little hint, is also tied to the movie Hearts of Fire. He's tied to another movie. Eh, Maybe I shouldn't say it. If you grew up when I did in the mid to late 80s, he is an indelible icon of that era in a weird way. Trust me on this. You're going to love this. Okay. Huge thanks to Yan the Man for producing the podcast. Yan Makevich, thank you, buddy, for everything. And guys, find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can stay in contact with me that way. If this is your first time listening, I always throw it out. If you're a listener and you want me to track down an artist that you haven't heard from for a long time, let me know. Send me a message on Facebook, or you can send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, and I will try and find that person for you. I'm working on a number of those, actually, right now. It should come out in the next few weeks. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. That's about it. Anyway, next Tuesday, another big, I'm really excited for you to hear this interview. Please come back next week. You're going to love it. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you later.